morning again. In 2015, I had the opportunity uh, to travel to Western India and to spend a few weeks there. And uh, if it weren't for the people that I met there, I would never want to go back. Um, As much as I thought I was prepared for what I would encounter, actually being there and, and seeing how the people lived is an experience that is in many ways burned into my mind. So I think back and it's just, there's garbage everywhere, a smell of cow dung and burning plastic and sulfur that like mixes together so that you can't take a full breath, Uh, orphan children all over the place wearing rags, rummaging through trash, Um, people living out of boxes, Uh, animal and, and human excrement just lining the streets, men and women all disheveled, begging for money at, at every turn, and, and over all of it, like a, a brownish-orange haze that just settles. And it's, uh, it just stinks, and it's dirty everywhere. Uh, when I was there, I, I felt in myself two distinct emotions that, that now I think are sort of two sides of the same coin. I felt a deep sense of revulsion and disgust, both at the conditions and the people. And yet, at the same time, I felt a deep sense of pity and a longing for those people to know a better life. In some ways, both the revulsion and the pity I felt grew the more I realized those people were not disgusted the way I was. Uh, that it was just something that was normal to them, that they had grown accustomed to just living in filth. Uh, Susan Wessel, who is the author of a book called Passion and Compassion in Early Christianity, writes about this relationship between disgust and compassion. This is what she writes. The theory of disgust is relevant to developing a theology of compassion because disgust can be viewed as a failure of compassion at the deepest level. If compassion involved coming to the aid of a human being whose suffering reminds us of ourselves, the emotion of disgust short-circuits this process. It determines that the process we see, uh, the person, it determines that the person we see suffering is so impossibly different from us that the mere act of touching him might threaten our sense of self. Disgust thoroughly undermines the sense of our belonging to a common humanity. It rejects the person's suffering as fundamentally different from us and therefore unworthy of our attention. Viewed as a potential source of our own contamination, the person whose wounds elicit our disgust will hardly ever become an object of compassion. In our passage this morning, we're going to meet a man who in many ways could not be more revolting, and yet who becomes the object of a wonderfully powerful compassion. Um, and it's, it's that compassion, even in the face of 
just utter revulsion and disgust that I want us to see this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there in Mark uh, to chapter 1, starting in verse 40, page number 786 in the, uh, the Bibles that are there in the back. Um, I'm actually going to start in verse 39, but uh, we're going to focus on verse 40 through 45. And he, that is Jesus, went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, Let me pray that the Lord would help us as we come to his word. Our Father, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would uh, now accomplish all of your purposes uh, in the proclamation of your word. Uh, Help me to proclaim it faithfully. Uh, Lord, convict us, show us our need, and remind us again of the, the wonderful compassion that we find in Christ, that our hearts would overflow with worship and praise and thanksgiving. Do this for the sake of your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we start, let me tell you my fear. Here's my fear. My fear is that I'm going to start talking, and what you are going to assume I'm trying to do is tell you why God wants you to be more compassionate, and how, if we look at this passage, we can be more compassionate like Jesus. So I'm afraid that's what you're going to hear. Uh, when really, uh, well, I, I certainly don't want you I'm not saying that you shouldn't be compassionate, and I'll go further to say, if you grasp what I'm going to say in the next 35 minutes, it will make you a more compassionate person, and yet, it's not, that's not the main point of this passage. It's not Mark's intention in including this passage in Scripture. So, uh, what is the main point? Here it is. This is the, the big idea. This is what I want you to walk away with from the sermon. Jesus alone can cleanse you of your sin. Therefore, bring all of your dirty and revolting sin to him and he will powerfully and compassionately make you clean. That's that's what Mark wants to get across to us here this morning through this story of a man with leprosy. You see, this, this passage isn't primarily about how we learn to be more compassionate. It's a passage about how sickening our sin is to God and how desperately we need Jesus to look on us with compassion and cleanse us. The whole point of this passage is that we would see Jesus as our compassionate Savior who can and who will cleanse us when we come to him in humble faith. Uh, So to that end, I want you to see sort of three movements 
throughout uh, this story uh, that we might see the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here are the three movements. The first, a desperate plea for compassion. Then the powerful provision of compassion. And then the surprising outcome of compassion. So a desperate plea for compassion, a powerful provision of compassion, and then the surprising outcome of compassion. So look with me there in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Before we can really come to terms with how beautiful, how wonderful the compassion of Jesus is here in this story, we need to grasp how desperate this man's situation was. Uh, In Mark's day, leprosy was a catch-all term for different skin diseases and skin infections. Uh, But because of the social stigma of being labeled as someone that had leprosy, the, the physical trauma of constant skin infection and the loss of extremities and fingers and toes was the very least of the pain that this man would have experienced. There was the social trauma of being totally ostracized from your family, from the community at large, relegated to living on the outskirts of the city. There was the the economic fallout of losing your job and being forced to now beg on the streets for food. There was the, the spiritual anguish of being barred from the religious community, unable to enter into the synagogue, unable to enter in to the temple, and then the, the psychological agony of feeling utterly helpless and alone. Leprosy wasn't uh, just a sickness. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just a disease that needed medical attention. Uh, to be known as someone who had leprosy was a, a sentence. Um, leprosy was very, uh, very closely associated with sin, and someone who had leprosy was considered to be under the judgment, under the, the curse of God. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for some light reading this afternoon, if you go back into Leviticus and read chapter 13 and 14, what you'll find there are very graphic details about how someone with leprosy is to be dealt with within the covenant community uh, that was Israel. They were to go before the priest, the priest who would pronounce them not sick, listen, that he would go to the priest, and the priest wouldn't say, yep, you've got, a, you've got a sickness. The priest would pronounce them unclean. Unclean. Listen to this uh, little section from Leviticus 13, uh, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, Josephus, a Roman Jewish historian living in the first century, records that lepers were not permitted to come into the city at all, nor to live with others. They were as walking dead men. I think sometimes we read a historical narrative like that, and because it's so distant, because it's so far away, it's hard for us to to put ourselves there. But really try. Try to imagine this guy. He, he, He probably had a family, a wife, children, a job, maybe had responsibilities in the synagogue, 
And then, in an instant, he sees the first rash, the first skin lesion. And, and with a single diagnosis, he is evacuated from his home, ripped away from his wife and his children. And imagine the conflict going on. He probably can't stand to be away from his wife and his children, and yet he probably doesn't want to be with them because he doesn't want to infect them. Relegated to living on the streets outside of the city. Anytime he comes within 125 feet of another human being, he has to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you, can you imagine for a moment the humiliation, the shame, the heartache of, of, of having leprosy in Mark's day? What a horrifying sentence. But brothers and sisters, I want you to see this morning that it is a powerful picture of us in our sin. It is a powerful picture of us in our sin. You see, our sin has so ravaged our souls that we are utterly unclean before God. Walking dead men, as it were. Worthy only to be evacuated out of his righteous and holy presence. Have you ever considered how revolting and how grotesque your sin is before God? Uh, we, we tend to think, even though we, we know we shouldn't articulate it this way, we know we shouldn't say it, but in our heart, a lot of the times we think of sin as like a whoopsie-daisy, like a, like a mistake, like, oops. And we fail to see how serious our sin is. And because we fail to see how serious our sin is, we fail to see how desperate our situation really is. We go on living as if our sin is no big deal because we fail to see how holy God is. Uh, consider the passage that Greg read earlier for us from Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord sitting high on a throne. Again, try and imagine it. The Lord sitting high on a throne, his glory filling every crack and crevice of the temple, heavenly creatures surrounding him, three sets of wings, two sets of those wings are used to cover their eyes and to cover their feet because the Lord is too pure, too holy that they should even look on him, too holy that they should even stand in his presence. And all they do, this is their purpose for existing. All they do is call back and forth to one another day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. The, the, the whole earth is full of his glory. The Lord is holy. Holy, holy, holy. They just call back and forth and back and forth. The holiness of the Lord. And look how Isaiah responds. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What, what would happen? What would what would we come to know of ourselves 
if even for just a moment we were given a glimpse of the holiness and the purity and the beauty of the Lord. We, we don't see it because we just swim in sin, right? We don't, we don't know anything different. It's all we know. We're like those people on the streets of India who don't know anything but what it's like to just live in filth and trash. But if this morning you could just look for a second into the perfectly pure and righteous glory of the Lord, even for just a moment, you would be utterly nauseated and repulsed by your own sin. You would be so disgusted that you would cry out for mountains and rocks to fall on you, to hide you from the face of the Lord. Like a ray of sunshine. You ever have this? You're in in the living room or in the kitchen and that ray of sunshine comes through the window and then you see all the little dust particles in the air. That's what the Lord's glory, that's what his holiness does when it shines into our lives. It it, it magnifies, it it reveals all of the, the darkness, all of the mess, all of the dirt that is actually there. At the sight of the Lord, we would see how repugnant and sick our sin really is. But not only that, that's not only what Isaiah sees. He doesn't not only see how unclean he is, but how helpless he is to fix it, right? That's what Isaiah cries. That's why he says, woe is me for I am lost. He's actually calling down a curse on himself. Woe is me. What can be done? All we are is unclean. What what can we be other than unclean? It's what we are. It's who we are. This man can't make himself clean again. There's nothing the leper can do. You see, it's a sentence. He is relegated to the outside camp of the, to the outside streets of the city, relegated to keep his distance from other human beings. There, there is no hope for him. There's nothing that he can do in and of himself to reconcile his situation. When we see the glory of the Lord, we see how hopelessly sick, how desperate our situation actually is. See then how desperately this man comes to Jesus. You see there that the leper came imploring him. That is, he came pleading and he came begging Jesus. Uh, This man, without question, had heard of the miracles of Jesus and knew that he was his only hope. Uh, That this man, that that outside this man, that outside of the, the powerful working of Christ, he was doomed to live out the rest of his days in misery and pain. So he comes pleading and kneeling before Jesus. You see that he comes kneeling. The kneeling is a designation both of his humility as he comes, but it's also a designation of his desperation. That word kneeling there is more nearly translated or, 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 or more nearly means like a full prostration, just face in the dirt, lying down, belly in the ground, pleading with Jesus. I want you to get this picture of desperation. The man knows how desperate his situation is. Apart from this man, there is no hope. It's a picture of utter desperation. There's there's no dignity. There's no decorum. There's no self-respect. You know, think about how silly it would have been if the leper was like, you know what? I need to put on my Sunday's best to go meet Jesus right now. 
It would have just been a farce. He knows how desperate his condition is, and so he just comes desperate, laid out on the ground, pleading with Jesus. It's a picture of complete self-abasement thrown at the feet of Jesus. The leper comes to him, imploring him and kneeling down before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice that he doesn't presume upon Jesus' willingness to make him clean. He is absolutely confident that Jesus can heal him, that Jesus is able to heal him, and yet whether he will or not is uncertain. And yet even in that uncertainty, he comes. Now, I, I want to take just like a, a, a brief detour here for a second. I think this provides us a helpful model for how we ought to approach God when we deal with our own physical ailments and when we go to God looking for physical healing. Um, we, we live in a world cursed by sin, and the, some of the results of that sin are sickness and disease and coronavirus and flu and cancer and, and death. And uh, just nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus promise us that he will heal those diseases in this life. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to him and ask him to do it. Because he does. Sometimes. But we should go, and our posture should always be consistent with the posture of this man. I know you are able. N never questioning whether or not God is able to heal. We always go trusting that the Lord can. He can do it. There's not a disease on this planet that God cannot heal with just a word, with just a, a, the, the, the flick of a wrist, with, with no effort at all. I know you are able, and if it is also your will, please bring healing. But if it is not your will right now, I know that you are still good and that none of your promises will go unanswered. Even when it's not his will to heal in this moment or in this life, we have the promise that in all, that in, when all things are wrapped up in, in glory, uh, all sin and all sickness and all death will be vanquished and that we will have the, the full realization of the promise of glorified bodies. So, so as you pray for your own physical healing, as you pray for the healing of others, pray in humble faith, asking God to do what he certainly can do. But pray also knowing that God's answer may be not yet. Know that God's answer when we pray for healing is never no. It isn't. It's always Yes or not yet. Because there will come a day for all his people when they will experience a, a full healing in glorified bodies. But his answer in this side of glory may be not yet. Okay, parenthesis over. Uh, so we see this, this man is utterly desperate before Jesus because of his condition. Uh, can, you can you relate with that feeling of desperation? Like try and think back. When's the last time you felt utterly desperate? When's the last time you felt real desperation? 
And more importantly, when is the last time you felt real desperation before the Lord because of your sin? Brothers and sisters, you cannot know the compassion of Jesus until you see how desperate your situation is before him. And praise God that the flip side is true too. That the more we see how desperate our situation is, this is, this is the wonder of the gospel. The more you see how desperate your situation, the more you see how dirty and how filthy and how undeserving you are to stand before God's presence because of your sin, the more glorious, the more beautiful, the more great his compassion and grace and mercy is. The more you see it for what it is, the more you see how beautiful, how full his compassion is towards his people. But we, we don't know the fullness of this compassion because we don't see ourselves like this leper saw himself before Jesus, just a pitiful and disgusting pile of, of flesh with no hope apart from the compassion of Jesus. It's, it's hard to consider, right? It's hard to look at. I know, we're, we're like little kids. You know when little kids, they like scrape their knee and they're like, no, 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 don't look at it. Because in some way, like, once mom and dad see it, they're going to have to come to terms with how bad it is, right? They, don't, like, they feel like if they hide it, then somehow, like, they, it, it's not that bad. But as soon as mom and dad look at it, then they have to deal with how, you know, how they actually have been scraped. That's what it is for us. But look, do you see, guys? The Lord knows how bad it is. You can't hide that from him. The Lord knows how bad it is. But the question is, do you know how bad it is? Do you know how bad it is? We might be tempted to run away, to hide, to, to try and push down the truth about our sin. But see this leper, miserable, disgusting, covered in rotting flesh, and yet coming desperately and humbly to Jesus. And then see Jesus' response. What, what beauty, what glory we see in Jesus' response. Look there in verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Uh, we read that Jesus was moved with pity. Again, I think we can easily pass over those words as if it's just sort of some obligatory connection between the man's condition and the healing he eventually experiences. Uh, but these words aren't here just for the sake of the story. Mark wants us to know something profound and something real about Jesus. Jesus, this, this word uh, pity, that, that he was moved with pity, communicates that he, was, uh, that he felt a deep sense of compassion from like his stomach like from his gut, from, from his core, he felt this deep sense of compassion. He felt the man's sadness. He felt the man's desperation. Have you known the compassion of Jesus? Have you experienced, have you known the compassion of Jesus? Uh, do you guys know C.S. Lewis? Most of you guys know C.S. Lewis? Okay. Uh, there's this section in a, in, a, in a book that I love. Um, it's uh, The Magician's Nephew, which is the prequel to the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the main character's name is Degory, right? 
and uh, Degori has a terminally ill mother, and he carelessly destroys this beautiful world that Aslan, uh, this great lion, has created. And uh, then, at a certain point in the story, Degori finds himself face to face with the lion. And this is what he says. He says, son of Adam, said Aslan, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? Well, I don't see what I can do, said Degori. You see, the queen ran away and I asked, are you ready, said the lion. Yes, said Degori. He had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make bargains with. But when he said yes, he thought of his mother. And he thought of the great hopes that he had and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes. And he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with the gory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Brothers and sisters, have you known the compassion of Jesus? Have you known him who has all power and all authority to be the one who is so meek and whose heart overflows with compassion? for those who are desperate and who are weak and who are needy. Have you looked up into the eyes of Jesus and seen bigger tears over your sin than are in your own eyes? But you need to see this. Compassion isn't just a feeling of empathy or sympathy. I I think what I felt in India was sympathy. I tried to imagine what it would be like to be in their condition and I felt a very small fraction of the feelings they must feel. Compassion, on the other hand, though, is is not merely a feeling of sympathy, but it's sympathy joined with a willingness to do something about it. But even that is not sufficient for this man. Even that is not sufficient for this man that comes to Jesus with leprosy. Uh, You see, a willingness to do something without the ability to carry it out is worthless. I could be willing to rescue all the orphans that I saw on the streets of Gujarat, but I don't have the ability to actually do it. And likewise, the ability to do something without the willingness to do it is worthless, useless. But see how in Jesus, a a perfect ability and a willingness come together in breathtaking compassion. Jesus could simply have said a word and the man 
would have been healed. But tenderly and compassionately, he stretches out his hand to the man. Can you imagine what was going on in that man's heart as Jesus moved towards him and starts, starts to stretch out his hand to him? For years, think about this man. For years, he hasn't been able to come within the length of this room to a person without yelling, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, unclean. And then, as C.S. Lewis puts it, wonder of wonders, Jesus touches the man. I recently read a story of a pastor who was uh, counseling a man who was not a Christian, and he was describing his loneliness. And uh, he, in sharing about his loneliness, he said that uh, once a week he would go to get a haircut just so he could feel someone touch him without any misunderstanding. Can you imagine year after year after year how long this man must have desired to just know a human touch? Not, not, not a handshake, not an arm around the shoulder, not a hug, not a kiss from his wife, not a hug from his children. And now he finds Jesus compassionately stretching out his hand to touch him. In so many ways, it's a breathtaking, heart-stopping picture of Jesus' compassion and love. You see, to touch a leper was to be contaminated, was to be yourself made unclean. Uh, it reminds me of that quote I read at the beginning of the sermon, right? Viewed as a potential source of our own contamination, the person whose wounds elicit our disgust will hardly ever become an object of compassion. But, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. The, the man was indeed utterly revolting. But that did not stop the compassion of Jesus. Full of pity, Jesus reaches out his hand and willingly takes on the man's identity as unclean. You see, there's no fear in Jesus of contamination because darkness cannot overcome light. And so he reaches out and touches this man who is riddled with infection and sores and identifies with him in his uncleanness. And, and it's in touching him that Jesus says without a word, I know you, I understand what you're going through, I'm here with you, I love you. But Jesus' touch isn't just a, a sentimental act. His touch was followed by his powerful words. Words so full of power that even now they uphold the universe. And so with absolute authority, he says to the man, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Can you imagine in one instant, instance of knowing the compassion and power of Jesus, this man went from just being totally overcome with disease, having lost everything in his life that he cared about, to being a man completely restored. Now, I was, I was wondering in my head, like, what was his first thought? Like, did he think, I'm going to get to go see my wife. I'm going to get to go see my kids. I'm going to get to go back into the city. I'm going to get to go, you know, live my life again. He could be a, a husband again to his wife, a father to his children. 
He could work again to provide for himself and his family. Most importantly, he could rejoin the community of faith. He could worship the Lord. But this man's happy ending is not the end of the whole story, is it? We've seen this man's desperate plea for compassion. We've seen in Jesus a powerful expression of compassion. Uh, But now we turn to see the surprising outcome of compassion. Uh, Look in verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The first surprising outcome of this story is that Jesus commands the man to keep his mouth shut. Uh, He commands him to keep quiet and to present himself before the high priest in accordance with the instructions found in Leviticus 14. Uh, And Jesus' command to silence again is a pointer to uh, his desire to keep his identity as the Messiah remain hidden until just the right time. I'm not going to rehash all that. You can go back and listen to the last sermon where I talked about that a little bit. The most surprising outcome of this story is that as a result of Jesus' compassion where Jesus winds up at the end of this story. So we read that the the leper ignores Jesus' warnings and speaks openly about the miracle, and as a result, Jesus is no longer able to openly enter a town such that he is relegated to desolate places. What's striking about this is the complete reversal that has taken place, the complete role reversal that has taken place between Jesus and the leper. You see, at the beginning of the story, it's, it's a leper who is living outside the city and unable to enter in. But by the end of the story, it is the man who is going into the city and Jesus who has been evacuated out, who is out in desolate places, who cannot go into the city. What a, what a picture this story is of the gospel. You see, while there's nothing we can do or give To earn God's grace, it is not free. The compassion of Jesus comes at a great cost. It comes at the cost of of Jesus' own life. He must take on our weakness. He must take on our uncleanness. He must take on our filth and our dirt. He must come into the world and put on the weakness of flesh. It was in the flesh that Jesus reached out and touched the unclean man and himself became ceremonially unclean. You you see, Jesus had to, to take up our uncleanness. He couldn't just view it from a distance, right? He actually has to come into the world. He has to taste it. He has to touch it. He has to become it so that he can stand in our place. And in becoming it, he has to bear the consequences for it. If his compassion will come to us so that we might be brought in, he must be cast out. If we are to know the blessing of God, he must bear the curse and judgment of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. That Christ identified himself with our sin. That 
he took on our uncleanness, that he came and he lived among our filth, that he embraced our desperation, that he bore in his body our sins, and that he took on our identity as those who are under the curse and judgment of God all the way to the cross. And it's there on the cross that we see how desperate our situation truly is. For it's on the cross that we see how ugly and how revolting our sin is. So ugly that the Son of God, think about that. How bad, how ugly, how revolting is your sin. It's so bad, it's so ugly, it's so awful that nothing but the Son of God dying on a cross can atone for it. But brothers and sisters, the cross is also the place where we see the clearest expression of Jesus' compassion for us. For he does not go to the cross for his own sin, but for ours. He goes in place of those who are desperate and who have no hope of being clean apart from his saving work. And though we have made ourselves utterly disgusting in his sight. That's a hard word to hear. But we have. For those who have made themselves utterly disgusting and revolting in his sight, still he moves towards us in compassion. He goes in our place, taking our sins so that the Father might look on us as those who have a perfectly clean righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The leper came uncertain if Jesus would show him compassion, uncertain if he would be healed, and, and rightly so. But Jesus wipes away all doubt by uttering those words, I am willing, be clean. Do you doubt this morning whether Jesus will look on you with compassion? Do you doubt whether he will forgive you and cleanse you of your sin if you go to him? Is there some sin in your life that you are hiding and that you hold close to you because you're afraid that if you go to him and he sees it, that finally he will give you what you deserve. Understand something. The leper in this story was appropriately uncertain about whether or not Jesus would cleanse him. But the gospel gives us certainty. Hear me. The gospel gives us certainty that when we come to him humble and contrite in faith, he will show compassion and he will forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. We, we don't need to be uncertain about whether or not it's God's will to forgive those who come to him in faith. Listen, listen. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the resolute and eternal answer of God by which he says to everyone who comes to him in faith, I am willing, be clean. Let me say it again. 
the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the eternal and resolute answer of God to everyone who comes to him in faith by which he says, I am willing, be clean. So friends, go to him with your sin. Why don't you go to him with your sin? Is it because you're like Degori? You, you think that you're gonna, your gaze is going to go up and what you're going to see there is a lion standing poised and ready to devour you. But the gospel tells us that when we, when we look up, what we will see is indeed a lion, but a lion who is also a lamb who has been crucified for us, who stands poised and ready not to bring the hammer down, not to devour us, but to forgive us and cleanse us and embrace us and bring us in. So go to him. Lay down any self-righteousness. Lay down dignity, decorum, self-respect. Right? You don't go to the Lord and try and fix yourself up. You go knowing your desperation. You go, you see it, you know how dirty it is. And so you go and you say, this is all I have to bring. All I have to bring is my sin and my filth. But you go knowing he's a savior who will look on you with compassion and pity and forgive and cleanse. So go to him with all your mess, with all your dirt, all your filth, with all your sin, knowing that when you do, you will find in Jesus a compassionate Savior who is not only able, but who is willing, who is willing to cleanse you from all your sins so that you might know full and complete restoration with God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that what we find here is a picture of compassion, that what we find here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who looks on all who come to him in faith with compassion and pity and love and mercy and grace. Keep us from pride. Keep us from any self-righteousness, any, anything that would keep us from seeing our desperation and in our desperation coming to you in faith. Lord, help us to lay down any sense that, that we can make ourselves right apart from your grace and then strengthen us and enable us and embolden us to come and find mercy. Thank you that you are a God who shows us mercy and compassion. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.